Hello and welcome to Composer Chat, a podcast where we talk a little about music, a little about life, and a whole lot about whatever nonsense happens to come up otherwise. I'm your host, Jason Nitch, and each week I am joined by one of my favorite composers out there in the world. It's my show, so that's why it's my favorite composers who get the invites, and you're just going to have to live with that. Stick around, we're going to do a deep dive with some of the most creative people in the world. You're listening to Composer Chat. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Composer Chat. I'm your host, Jason Nitsch. Yes, I'm a composer. Yes, I'm here every week. But each week I'm joined by a guest composer of my own selection, and we'll spend the next hour or so talking about them with frequent interruption by me. Um, this week, I am going to try to keep that to a minimum. I am so super excited about my guest this week, somebody who quite literally leads, needs no introduction, but uh, we'll introduce him anyway. Very excited to be joined this week by composer Johan DeMay. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jason. How are you? I'm well, thank, thank you. Uh, for having me. No, I, I am so excited to, uh, to talk with you and to, uh, to hear, hear about your thoughts about a number of things. Um, just your, you have such a, a huge, legendary, pivotal, critical um, place in, especially in the band world, but in the music world for sure. So uh, very, very um, excited to to hear your thoughts about some of these things. Well, uh, normally I would ask um, my guests to to spend thirty seconds telling us about you know kind of what what kind of thing they're into, what kind of music they do. Um, if you don't know. Um, if you don't know this man's music, you need to turn the podcast off and you need to go go learn about it. And then you come back and you listen to the interview. So um, we're going to skip skip ahead. Um, can you talk a little bit? I'm always interested in how people got started in music. Kind of what's your origin story of music? How'd you get involved in it when you were younger? Uh, well, I grew up in the Netherlands. I'm, I'm Dutch, as you know. Um, and at a young age, I joined a local wind orchestra in my hometown, uh, Voorburg, which is uh, close to The Hague. And I also, uh, on trumpet, I started on trumpet and then on cornet. And I was, I think, 14 years old or something. So that's rather late, actually. (laughs) You know, most people start in their tens or... But uh, I had a late start and... I actually had a late start with everything, with composing. I didn't start until I was 25 or something, So, but I'll tell more about that later. So I joined the local band, and I loved it. And I also, uh, then I switched to trombone at the request of our uh, conductor, because we had only two trombones and seven trumpets and cornets. So I changed to trombone, and that became my main instrument for the rest of my life also as a professional player. So then I joined a youth symphony orchestra in The Hague. Uh, so I grew up in two worlds, in, in the band world, but also in the orchestral world. And as a player, I mainly played in orchestras uh, in the Netherlands. So that was the start. Um, and I had no idea that I was going to be uh, a professional player, a B composer, C arranger. The, the nothing was planned. I just started as a as an amateur player, uh, enjoying the hell out of it. <laughs> and I uh, I developed myself quite quickly. I uh, I, I joined another 
a big band and a, a brass quartet, you know, and I, I played everywhere. And then I started playing gigs with the, uh, the, the Hague Opera Orchestra. And crucial in my life was uh, my military service uh, that started in 1975. Until then, I was still, you know, amateur player playing everywhere. Very enthusiastic, very excited. I did a teacher training college to be a uh, elementary school teacher, uh, which I finished in uh, 75 or 74. But 75, I had to go into the army. In those days, it was still mandatory. And I was lucky to get a position in one of the military bands. Uh, not on trombone, but on the flat tuba. Because in addition, when I... Uh, my first day in the army, or the second day actually, uh, I was I asked to do an audition for the band, and I played the audition on my trombone. But they said, "Well, we would love to have you, but you have no trombone openings. Um, do you play uh, E flat tuba?" Well, I said, "Oh yeah, absolutely," and that was a big lie because I, <laughs> I've never had one in my hands. But because of my trumpet background, you know, I know. I knew how to, to, to play with vowels and and the mouthpiece was a little bigger than trombone. So within one day, I I was able to play the flat tuba. So that's why I got into the band and I spent six, 16 months in this group and that's where it all started. I started to write my very first arrangements. Uh, I became very excited about being a musician. And... Halfway my military research, I decided, you know what? I don't want to be a school teacher. I want to be a musician. So I did two auditions, one with the, the Dutch Marine Bands for Trombone Euphonium. I didn't get that. But two months later, I won the audition for Euphonium at, with the Amsterdam Police Band, a small but very good professional group in Amsterdam, which I joined right after my military service. I... Uh, Left the army on April 30th and May 1st was my first rehearsal in Amsterdam. <laughs> so, yeah, from one day into the other, I was a professional player. <laughs> so I played with the Amsterdam policeman for 11 years, and that's where it really took off. Then I started writing a lot of arrangements, and I started my first big composition in 1984. Um my symphony, The Lord of the Rings, which is still my uh, my most popular, my most performed piece by far. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I also started conducting, uh, you know, my own arrangements. And that's what really took off. So 1977 was the crucial year, the beginning of my professional career. The band was resolved in 1988. Uh, for financial reasons, so I lost my job with, with the policeman. But it was the same year that the Lord of the Rings premiered in Brussels in March of 1988, 35 plus years ago. And that was a, a big change in my life and my career. I suddenly was a composer, you know. <laughs> I was an arranger quite well in the, in the 80s and had a lot of publications out with uh, Molinar editions in those days. Mm. And those arrangements are still around, like Star Wars, uh, Phantom of the Opera, yeah. uh, Cats, James Bond 007. 
recently, all those four arrangements I was able to publish again, got the license, and but that's for, for later. Um, they're now available again, those arrangements from, from 40 years ago. Oh, how wonderful. But um, so, yeah, 1988, I lost a job in the Amsterdam Police Band, but I won another edition with a small wind ensemble called De Vol Harding, which is a Dutch for uh, the Perseverance. Mm. And it was a contemporary group, and I played a lot of very contemporary uh, works, but I I enjoyed it very much. It was completely different than the band world. Sure. And I played there for 20 years wow. until I passed. So in a nutshell, that's my uh, my career with a lot of, a lot of great moments, a lot of highlights. But crucial was, you know, my symphony number one. The uh, it was an immediate success after the premiere, and a year later I won the uh, the Sutler International Award, which really helped make the piece known. And and I started my own publishing company as well in 1988. I started Amstel Music, which I still run by myself. And I publish all my works through Amstel Music and some of the arrangements. And um, yeah, so that's how how I became a musician and a, and a writer and a conductor. Wow, that's that's quite a that's quite a journey that you, that you've been on. Certainly, a lot of really cool, interesting stops along the way. I um, I want to ask you about the time early in your life when you were arranging because um, a frequent point that comes up with guests is how they feel like arranging is often a nice sort of gateway into composing. And a lot of people, and I, I put myself in this group too, I sort of slid into composing from arranging as well. Do you, mm -hmm. do you find that you're composing when, when you got to writing your own original music, do you find, do you think that it was probably having that experience as a ranger was uh, positively affected kind of your early compositions? Oh, absolutely. Well, in, in general, I think arranging is a little easier, quote unquote, than composing because you already have material, you know, you have sure. some song or, or the film score, whatever. The composing kicks in uh, when you have to make bridges between songs or uh, uh, transitions, you know, that's that's why you're actually composing. And I really like to do that, you know, to, to it's a, a real art to go from one song to another song in, in, a, in a medley. And I became quite good at that. And I have some of my earlier arrangements, then I go, oh no, this is not good. <laughs> to erupt is, um, for instance, Moment for Morricone is probably one of the most performed arrangements in, in Europe, and maybe in the world, it's a music by Ennio Morricone, and that was my first big hit as an arranger. It was, I think, 1980. Mm. But when I, it's still okay, and it still gets played all the time, everywhere. Especially last year when Morricone passed away, I mean, everybody was playing it. But I would do it completely different now. When I hear it, you know, it's, it's fine, and it became an immediate success because it sounded so symphonic. <laughs> you know, and sure. and that's that's still my my shtick to to make a wind orchestra sound like an orchestra, and I don't mean this bad, you know, but a band can sometimes sound like a band, yeah. you know, and that's not my favorite sound. I I love the, the the warmth of an orchestra, 
So that's how I try to orchestrate, and and I'm also also using more and more uh, the cellos, hmm. in the patient and harp and piano and all that, the string bass, you know, the the, the orchest- orchestral instruments, so to speak. But um, in every work, I try to make it sound as, as beautiful as I can for the winds. And that's a thing I learned through experience, uh, looking at Alfred Reed's score, for instance. He's a master at orchestration and, and making uh, a band sound at best because of his orchestrations, using the right keys and all, mm-hmm. and talking about musicians. He's fabulous. If you look at uh, Armenian dances or uh, El Camino Real, how he goes from one section to the other is, is brilliant. Absolutely genius. So, so Alfred Reed was one of my examples, but the majority of my musical heroes are the classical composers. But we'll probably talk about that later, my influences and, and inspirations and all. Yeah, well, I mean, this is this is as good a time as any to kind of talk about that because I, I I know um, I I believe and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I I believe at least compositionally that you you're sort of self-taught. Is that is that right? Correct. Yep. So and then, I would think you know, that you would have leaned on uh, a lot of influences from other I, people. Then I did have my conservatorium. I I, I didn't tell you that but as soon as I got the job with the Amsterdam Police Band I went to the the, Hague, the Royal Conservatorium in the, the Hague for trombone and conducting and which I both graduated in 83 and 84 but I got uh, harmony and uh, solfege and, and, and theory lessons music history and all at the conservatorium but never composing or arranging no so so then what um, what were some of those then, you know, influences that you spoke of that kind of, you know, gave you gave you that inspiration to follow when you're writing? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I could answer that, but let me ask you, because you know my works. And who do you think are have been very influential uh, in my work? Oh, gosh, I I would not even want to begin to speculate. There are so many grand possibilities uh, mm. Well, there's some very, uh, especially in the Lord of the Rings, there's some very clear influences and even some quotes. Or um, actually, it's an open fifth, I think, an AE, but that comes straight out of <coughs> the Firebird from Stravinsky. Yeah. Well, bum, 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 bing, 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 you know, etc. Sure. So that's one. Uh, I, I <coughs> In those days, I was a big fan, and still am, of Ray Vaughan Williams, mm. English. And there's there's a quote in the, in the second movement of Lord of the Rings of his London Symphony, the oboe solo mm-hmm. is almost literally stolen from <laughs> the London Symphony, the second symphony of uh, Ray Vaughan Williams. But other very influential composers are Prokofiev, mm-hmm. uh, Puccini, Carl Nielsen, uh, Leonard Bernstein, Dmitry Shostakovich, and so on. Those are my top five, but I mean, there's so many others. Aaron Copeland, John Williams, uh, John Adams, you know, the more minimal stuff. The list goes on. (laughs) I mean, there's so many amazing composers and compositions, and that's why I get my inspiration from, you know, just uh, study scores, listen to recordings, watch watch Bernstein conduct his own music. That's super inspirational, both 
as a composer and as a conductor too. Yeah. Did you find as a conductor um, that some of the music you were programming or that you were conducting in that, in, in that sort of arena, did you find that a lot of that choices you were making there highly influenced your, your own compositional choices? Um, sorry, can you, can you repeat that question? I, I, I didn't get it. Uh, I was wondering that as a, as a conductor, you know, conducting, mm -hmm. conducting other works by other composers or oh, other arrangers, I, yeah. you know, if, if any of those choices you may have made, you know, like, Oh, I want to conduct this piece or perform this piece with this group. Cause you know, ABC, I, you know, I wonder if there were any influences there um, that made its way into your composing. No, not really. Not really. Yeah. No, it's basically the, uh, the, the classics that are my, my source of inspiration and, and, I think I know the answer to this, but I, I, I ask all the guests who do a lot of composing and conducting, do you, do you enjoy conducting your own music? Of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, most 95% of the, the gigs uh, are that I'm asked to conduct my own music, but I love to conduct other people's works, you know, absolutely. As much as I do, like to uh, do my own works, but but I, I usually only get invited to do my my own stuff. That's interesting. Yeah, it yeah. Guests on the show were kind of split on that one. Some of them really like conducting their own music, and some of them don't. Um, mm. I, I really don't. I, I I've kind of split the difference. I like rehearsing my music with groups. Okay. I'd, I'd much rather somebody else conduct the concert and me just be able to sit sit and listen. I don't know why it's a, it's a strange thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I always had kind of a, when I had a, a, a band I was conducting, I always was hesitant to program my own music or I was always very, very um, aware of how often I programmed my own music. Cause I just didn't want to take advantage of the fact that I was picking the repertoire every concert cycle. Um, yeah. Well, I, I'm invited to do so, you know? Yeah, uh, sure. Oh, yeah. Well, you would be. <laughs> then I make, uh, have a whole list of, well, I have all my works in, in a, a file, you know, and I, I just pick and choose. Every every time it's different. Yeah. And new stuff coming out as well, you know? I, I've i written so much music over, over the last four years, you know, during COVID. Yeah. Anybody else, I was sitting at home. Right. All my concerts were canceled, of course. Sure. That's so much time on my hand, and I worked off a whole bucket list, and I wrote over five and a half hours of music, wow. arranging, composing in, in two years, which is three times more than I usually do. Sure. Let me ask you this. Does anybody ever call and they're like, hey, we'd like to have you come out and, you know, and conduct the group? You know, we're thinking maybe we're going to do the Lord of the Rings or something. Do you ever... Do you ever um, respond to them like, "Hey, I'll come out, but instead, could we do the Big Apple?" You know, like. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how how many times I've conducted and rehearsed Lord of the Rings, but it's in the hundreds, you know, sure. over the last thirty five years. It's and yeah, I like especially like to do the the newer stuff, you know. Uh, right. But I still conduct Lord of the Rings, you know, uh, if they really want it, of course, sure. Um, but I'd rather do the other symphonies because I've done it so many times, you know? Yeah. Yeah. As you know, I have five 
symphonies out now. Uh, the Big Apple is two. Yep. Planet of the Earth is three, uh, which I will do next year uh, in Berlin in the, the Philharmonie, where the Berlin Philharmonic plays. That's going to be awesome. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And then there's the, the Symphony of Songs, the, the Symphony der Lieder. Gets played more and more actually, which to my um, surprise and and joy, because I I'm very fond of that symphony. It's the shortest one. It's a, a song cycle for a mezzo soprano and children's choir and winds. And I'm going to do that a couple of times next year. And it was just played in Vienna in the Musikverein, you know, the the Golden Saal, the where the Vienna Philharmonic always do their uh, newest concert, that amazing hall and that was a month ago, uh, and I I didn't conduct. I was just a guest, but it was amazing. Yeah, it's it's it quite a lovely out. piece. It was sold out. A, a wind orchestra in the music frying, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a children's choir of two hundred fifty four kids. Oh wow! It was an amazing experience. So yeah. Oh so, yeah, and then there's number five. Uh, my last symphony called Return to Middle Earth which uh, harked back to symphony number one, because it's also based on Tolkien Middle Earth uh, mythology, but not specifically about the book Lord of the Rings, but more about Middle Earth in general. Hmm. Well, um, we should probably talk about the Lord of the Rings. Um, now, uh, normally I would ask, I would ask people about their first big uh, performance, but uh, we can, we, we can dispense with that. It's, it's obviously it's the Lord of the Rings. Um, is, is it is it true that you were not familiar with the books, or you hadn't read the books kind of um, before you started thinking about this project? It was so, uh, suggested to you maybe that it was good subject. Yes, I I had a friend of mine. I had uh, conducting lessons with Ari van Beek. Is his name? Mm-hmm. He's a very conductor from. The Netherlands. Uh, in the early '80s, I had some extra conducting lessons with him, besides my uh, education at the conservatorium. And he was the one who suggested to think about Lord of the Rings uh, because we were talking, and I said, I, "I've done some arrangements, but I really want to write a substantial work for winds." But I'm looking for a subject, you know, something where I can base it on, and. He said, well, how about this? And we were standing in front of his library, and he just pointed out a whole slew of books. He was a big Tolkien fan. So there was Lord of the Rings, there was The Hobbits, The mm. Marillion, there was uh, Tom Bombril, the whole And I thought, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard of that book, and but I never read it. So then I started reading the book, but, of course, with a, a totally different uh, mindset, because from the, the First page on, I thought, okay, I want to see if I can put this to music. And within a couple of chapters, I thought, yes, this is golden. And when I uh, read Journey in the Dark, you know, the, the one of the earlier chapters, I I started writing that uh, that particular movement, which is, became movement four. But that's the first thing I wrote. I didn't start it at the beginning, hmm. and. Um, so, but that was two years later. I mean, I didn't have a commission. There was no deadline. I just did it for fun and as a hobby. I wanted to write a large work for Wins. Because in those days, there there weren't very many symphonies for Wins, as you may know. Sure. There was the 
Hindemith, you know, the yeah. uh, Lancin and either Gutkowski in France did a couple of symphonies. Um, the Persichetti, uh, a handful. Yeah. And early on, you know, the early uh, symphony Triumphal. Right. right. You know, the Triumphal. Um, I'm actually preparing uh, a lecture for the Midwest where I will sort of start with, you know, the the history of the symphonies for wind orchestra, but nowadays we have hundreds, maybe thousands. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. It's fantastic. But before 1998, a handful. So I, I think, and uh, this doesn't sound very modest, but I think I, I, I started the trend <laughs> by proving yeah. that you can certainly write works longer than five minutes, you know? Sure. Yeah. That was my whole goal because I, when I was in the early eighties, I thought there's something wrong with our repertoire. You know, we have so many short pieces and marches and, and all that. Yeah. We need substantial repertoire if we want to be the the wind orchestra um, as as valuable as an orchestra. You know, and we should get rid of our B A N D um, <laughs> syndrome. Yeah, the four letter words. You know, sure. We need good repertoire, and guess what? We have it now. We have, you know, we have John Mackey, we have Frank Tacali, uh, all those guys. Yeah. And started to write symphonies, but after 1988. So, and an interesting thing is that when I was in the process of writing, so between 84 and 88, I talk, was talking to people, and I told them that I was working on a, on a 45-minute symphony, and they all, they all said, are you? crazy <laughs> no, nobody's gonna play that it's too long yeah and my standard answer was well i know pieces of four minutes that are too long so <laughs> so it's interesting and uh, also my publisher then uh, molinar john molinar who sadly passed away last year yeah. he said uh sorry on we cannot publish this piece it's, it's too long you know it's a, too big of an investment for our company and and then I thought, you know what? Then I'm going to do it myself. That's I founded my company, Amsterdam Music, just to start publishing Lord of the Rings. And then, uh, of course, the rest, the catalog uh, built from there. But it started with the Lord of the Rings from, from my first publication. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> that's that's a pretty amazing first piece out of the gate. <laughs> I think yeah, everybody I know. Great. <laughs> Well, did you, uh, and, and I, I love that you started with the journey in the dark. Cause I, I've always found the, uh, like the minds of Mori and all of that always seemed yeah. like a really great setting to sort of try to, you know, write something to. And, um, the fact that, that that's where you started, um, you know, kind of with that is very cool. Did, did you know when you started to, to write what ended up being the, that fourth movement, did you know that, that you were intending to write a multi-movement piece or did you? Oh not yeah. Have yeah. Idea? I, I have sketches where I uh, just in pencil wrote in, in texts, you know, I, I wrote uh, a lot of things and I still have them and I'm going to show them at my lecture in, in Chicago. And uh, yeah, these are just uh, uh scribbles on a piece of paper where I sort of mapped out the whole piece and I stuck to it. You know, Gandalf, Lothorian, Gollum, 
during the dark in Hobbit. Yeah. A, a Gandalf was number three at first. Hmm. It was in the middle, but I thought when I started writing it, it sort of became so clear that that, that was the opening piece, you know, with with the the main theme in, in the beginning and all that. So I moved it to to the first uh the first place which was i think a good choice and i still think the 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 whole build-up of you know journey in the dark being the fourth movement the, the most dramatic is at the right time you know in the uh, in the 45 minute stretch if 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 it would be the second movement you it would be too early you know to have that big climax and all that yeah i think the form the form is is it's, it's good. I, I never change it. I did do a big revi- a revision of the symphony uh, last year and also the year before. I spent almost half a year on it. Uh, and I changed a lot, but not not in the order of the of the movements. I I changed a lot of instrumentations. Uh, I added some bars. Hmm. I, I took out all the repeats uh, and I wrote them out, so to speak. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because there's always uh, misunderstandings about second time only or first time touch yet, or sure. uh, so they're all written out now. So, and I added cellos, I added a harp, I added an extra oboe part, the uh, dub- double, uh, the contrabass clarinet, mm. and it sounds better. It's it's more transparent and it's easier to read. Actually, uh, uh, all the parts were completely new engraved, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't change the order then in, in, in the, of the five movements and, and people asked, would you write another symphony about Lord of the Rings? And the answer was no, but I did write this, this Middle Earth thing, which is also very Tolkienish, but there's a big difference between that symphony and the first, you know, it's, it's with a big choir, a soprano solo, and uh, a totally different approach. You know, you, you mentioned several times uh, about the length, about it being, you know, 45 minutes or so. And that really, it's the first time you said it, I sort of went, God, is it really, is it that long? Because it doesn't feel when you're listening to it, like it's a 45 minute piece. And I think that that I think that alludes to something that you were talking about, about the order, about the pacing, about making sure that all of that, especially in a big, you know, huge work like that being such an important component, getting the, the order of the movements right. Cause it just doesn't, some pieces feel like this is, this is a 45 or a 50 minute piece. That piece to me is, it just, uh, it flows so well. It goes by so quickly. It does. Yeah. And I, I experienced this when I conducted, you know, yeah, <laughs> I give the downbeat and then, Half an hour later, we moved forward, and I think, oh, we're almost there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and two, I want to point out too that that you also have said um, you wrote this whole thing by hand. Oh yeah, of course. This was nineteen eighty four. You know, there was no finale, there was no Sibelius. Yeah, which um, I, I think that's worth pointing out. You know, because we get really spoiled with technology these days. Just what a kind of Herculean task that is to write something of this magnitude by hand. Oh yeah, and it. I actually uh, at the twenty fifth anniversary, I published the the manuscript score in its entirety. Yeah, yeah. How cool! And 
it's just a collector's item, you know, but it's, uh, and of course I had to write all the parts as well, you sure. know? Oh yeah. 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 I, so, won't, yeah. I won't even begin to speculate how long it would have taken to write all those parts out. I've been writing by hand until 2005. Oh, wow. Yes. Everything before that was written by hand and I used the, the copyists to put it into Sibelius and Finale. Yeah. I finally started to learn Sibelius in 2005 and, and I started with a very difficult piece, uh, Extreme Makeover. Oh, that, yeah. The piece that I uh, put into Sibelius and since it's so hard, uh, I, I learned a lot and, yeah. and now... I still use Sibelius and I'm, I'm pretty fast with it. I'm very, I love the program, especially in combination with a note performer, you know, the, the play. Yes. Yeah. That's crucial yeah. because the sounds of, of the general MIDI sounds of Sibelius are still terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Sibelius. Uh, yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a Sibelius and a note performer person also, neither of which are sponsors of the podcast, but they could be. Um, <laughs> Um, so they could reach out at any time. Yeah, that's really wonderful. I, I, I actually I moved over the summer and I found my um, original Sibelius CD-ROM when it was just Sibelius because there were no numbers yet, no versions yet, just the mm. very first one. I found it this summer and I thought, how cool um, is that, that I've still got that? And then I thought, why do I still have this and why have I moved it so many times? Yeah. You know. Well, first, the first published version of Lord of the Rings was made in program called Composure, which later became Finale. Mm. But it was very limited, you know. The, you can see in the manuscript that all the grace notes, all the crescendos, all the slurs were done by hand, by me. <laughs> because they looked terrible. I mean, <laughs> they, they looked ridiculous. And, and you, some things you couldn't even do. So yeah. I spent a lot of time and, and, and adding all those uh, and in, in both scores and parts, uh, uh, handwritten, to put in all those crescendos. I mean, <laughs> 36 yeah. parts, oh, five minutes. That's a that lot. Forever. But but now this, this version, that old version is, has been replaced by the new one, which looks much better graphically. Yeah, so. I'm sure. Well, um, let me ask you this. Um one more Lord of the Rings question, you know, after all these years, you hear it so many times. I know you, you I, I've heard you talk about how, um, how amazing the first time you got to hear it all the way through was, um, do you still get that same, uh, that same feeling all these years later when you hear it performed? Does it still, does it still hit you? No. Well, yeah, sometimes it, especially the fifth movement can make me emotional. Yeah. Yeah. You know? In and also because it was played at the funeral of my mother and my father, they both loved the piece and they both asked for it to be played at their funeral. So that gives it a total different uh, dimension for me, you know. Sure. Nothing to do with the book, but but um, I mean, the first time I heard the piece complete was the premiere. And that was still unforgettable. I, uh, it was played in Belgium by the the band of the Royal Guys, the Pitsen, and they're a fantastic group. And But I only heard bits and pieces during the rehearsal. I'd never heard the whole piece from A to Z. And that was 
that night at, at uh, in Brussels, March 15, 1988. I never forget it. And I was blown away because that was the first time I, I heard it. And I thought, yeah, it's good. It, the form is, it, you know, bingo. Yeah. yeah. Was it was it one of those things when you heard it? We were like, "Yep, this is it. I'm going to be a band composer. This is my this is my." <laughs> well, that that night, yeah, that changed my life in a very nice way. I I knew this was going to be uh, when I was writing it. I thought, "Oh, but nobody's going to play this, or it's, it's too hard." Well, I was wrong. Everybody plays it now. Yeah, yeah, you were wrong about that one. Um... Yeah, when that first came out, I thought, oh, God, only professional groups can play this. It's too hard. And and that's why I start, started publishing it in five different movements, which was a good idea because yeah. a lot of bands play one and five, you know, Gondolf and Hobbes. But more and more people just play the whole symphony. Yeah. If you look at my uh, my calendar on my website, you know, uh, it's almost always the complete symphony, which is fantastic. Yeah. That's the way it was meant, you know, and uh, sure. And uh, bands are now used to play longer pieces. In Correct. The it's Correct. true. And and people who said, you know, it's too long, said, well, our audience are not used to it, and they may be right. So I said, well, let them make, let them become used to it. You know, if you go to an orchestra concert, you know, there are three pieces on the program, not much, and the band concert has. 16 pieces and, and four encores, you know? Yeah. And no substantial works. But now we do. Now yeah. we do. Right. All, uh, we're still in in the middle of creating our own serious concert repertoire, you know, with with composers uh, in in Europe and America. You know, uh, Jan van der Roost, uh, Philip Spark, Otto Schwartz, uh, Thomas Doss, uh, Federer Fernand, uh, think to Kelly in the US, you know, Stephen Bryant, you name it. And they all are writing companies now, all of them. They're all trying to be like you. <laughs> no. Yeah. My difference. Yeah. I like it. Uh, and the great thing is that I'm friends with all the guys I just mentioned and many more, you know. Sure. It's about our composer. We're not jealous at each other uh, well maybe some are but they don't show it but we're all friends and we're all colleagues you know we're all we're all fitting in the same pond but there's a lot of camaraderie uh, and and i've become friends with almost all those composers you know and i was friends with alfred reed as well mm-hmm. when he was down. and uh, and it's inspiring too you know to uh, like a guy like oscar navarro from spain became very good friends and he's such an amazing guy an amazing composer it's inspiring you know and and we need each other's support i think yes yes i will agree with that and i will say something that in my in my later years um that i have spent a lot of time doing especially with young composers i run across i've become much more deliberate about you know, when they post things, listening to the things that they're posting and sending them, I'll send them a little message. Hey, really enjoyed this or that. Or, you know, when we, when we're at Midwest in a couple of weeks, I'll seek them out. I'll now they, a lot of times they've got booths. I'll go and make sure and talk with them. Um, because you're right. You need that support 
And you need it from people that are not, you know, your family members or, you know, people right. you grew up with or, you know. Yeah, I, 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 I do need a soundboard, you know. Uh, and one of my friends, uh, his name is Anthony Fiumara, also a very fine composer, but not, not for wins. Uh, we we spar, you know. He, I send a new work uh, before it's even published or played. He sends his, and we just say, "Hey, well, how about this?" Or "This is great," or hmm, "I'm not so crazy about that." And he's he's wonderful. He is he's an amazing composer, amazing friend, and he's honest. You know, if he doesn't like something, he will tell. Yeah. And also, my wife Diane, she's the first one to hear my new pieces. Sure. And she's a but she. She comes to my office and, and lays on the ground with a pillow and closes her eyes and listens. And sometimes she has very good remarks and say, well, you know, I, here my attention goes away. It's maybe a little too long. And, and I said, you know what? You're right. And I shorten it. So, yeah. Yeah. But I do need a, you know, soundboard to someone to listen to it. And because it's, it's, like making a painting, you know, you're sitting so close to the the the, the frame what, when you're painting. Sometimes you have to walk back a couple of feet and look at it, you know. It's the same with writing a piece, taking a distance. And sometimes I play back, but don't look at the score. I just go sit somewhere in my office and, and just listen to the music. And, and then I think, hmm. So then I'm the audience, you know, right? And 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 I think, ah, it's good. Yeah, it fits. Yeah, I definitely think every creative person needs those people in their life. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I I certainly have those people. Um, my wife will come and listen to things. My wife is not a musician at all, but she'll come and she'll listen to things. And I I always watch her responses to things. Yeah, um, because same. I think if she doesn't like it, the audience isn't going to like it because they're not <laughs> they're not professional musicians either. So, exactly. yeah, so there's a lot of there's a lot of good um, there's a lot of good information that comes out of those kind of conversations. So that's that's really wonderful. Well, um, let me ask you this. Um, do you have any a very practical question? Do you have any any purchases or acquisitions that you've made that when you got it completely changed the way that you worked or that you wrote or made your life much easier some, uh, in some way. Note performer. Note performer. That, yeah, yeah. I agreed. A hundred dollar purchase and my God, it's, it's worth it. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's so much. I mean, I can make uh, demo recordings now that sound pretty accurate, you know? I mean, not always. Uh, sometimes the balance is a little problem, but it's good enough to to send it to the commissioner and say, "Well, here's the piece," you know. And yeah. So yeah, and a note performer. I, I recommend it to everybody who uses. Uh, uh, well, either you can also play it on finale, I think, or yeah. Doric. I think yeah. yes, yeah. I think you can do it on all three now, and uh, so, yeah. yeah, I agree. It's Absolutely. it's. It's uh, it's worth the money for sure by a large oh, margin. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, un un um, what do they call it? Un unpaid um, um, you know, endorsement there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, get free upgrade. You know, once you buy it once, that's all you have to do. And right. 
Cupcakes come for free. I actually know the guy who developed it. His oh. name is Arne Wallander. He's a sweet, Swedish guy, and I have been in, I've never met him, but I've been in contact with him directly via email when I had a problem, and boom, he would respond immediately with, with a solution. So that's very helpful. Yeah, note performer. Love it. That's that's a great answer. I, I concur. Well, let me ask you this. Do you ever, um, when you're working on something, do you ever deal with, with uh, writer's block or do you ever get stuck? Oh, God, yeah. Almost every time. At the beginning, every time I start a new piece, I go, oh, God, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I run out of ideas. <laughs> yeah. And the only thing we have to do is just shut up, sit down and, and, and work, you know, just sit behind your keyboard or piano and just fiddle around and and then new ideas come in yeah yeah but it, it may take weeks you know i i sometimes spend weeks doing nothing or just uh, um i can't find anything <laughs> anything usable yeah i i hit some some chord or things oh let's let's work it out and Right now, I'm in the very beginning of a new piece, and with the same problems, you know. It's uh, I'm writing a, a another song cycle. It's not going to be a symphony, but it's called uh, "Poem de la Vie," French for "Poems of Life," hmm. and it's based on a French uh, poetry, and it's for a baritone voice singer and choir and winds. And it's to be premiered next November. So I still have some time, but that's where I'm working on right now. Oh, very cool. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have any, um, in your spare time, you have any hobbies or any non-music interests that you, uh, that you spend time on? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I love to cook. I'm a amateur chef. You know, I love to, to be in the kitchen and prepare great meals. Um, I love watching movies or series, uh, which I do almost every day when I uh, do my workout. You know, I watch uh, Netflix or, or stuff like that or documentaries. I love to travel, which uh, comes in well with, with all my travel for work. You know, I yeah. sometimes have a little holiday or I bring Diane, my wife. Uh, so that's that. I used to be... Uh, a jogger, but I had a ski accident six years ago, and since then I, I am unable to run anymore, which I very much miss because it was inspiring to go running, and I always came back with some ideas. Oh yeah, sure. So that that source of inspiration is gone, unfortunately. And other than that, I love modern art. I love to go to museums, museum, and uh, yeah, that's about it. Well, that's great. Well, um, do you have any other future projects on the horizon other than the uh, the new song cycle you're working on? Anything in the in the queue? Yeah, I have several other commissions uh, for 25, a piece for saxophone quartets and winds, commissioned by the Mat Saxophone Quartet. They're they are in Holland, but they're all Portuguese, and they're amazing. I've met them a couple of times and. Uh, so that's that's still two years ahead. Um, I have another commission in Germany. Um, that's it, I think. Let's see. Yeah. 
Yeah, not much, but I don't want to have like 10 commissions lined up, you know, that's too much pressure. Yeah, sure. And I'm not a fast rider, you know, I'm, I'm pretty slow actually. Hmm. And those five and a half hours of music uh, that I told you about during COVID, that was a lot of arranging. Mm, okay. Another 30 minutes of Romeo and Juliet by Prokofiev uh, from the ballet. Uh, and that I did very fast. Like in two weeks, I, I did it. You know, that's that's pretty oh, yeah. That's quick. Oh yeah, and, and I'm working on another uh, Prokofiev arrangement right now, which is to be premiered in May. It's called the the year 1941. Hmm. It's a dark piece. It's about the uh, German invasion in Russia in 1941, which unfortunately is very much similar to what's happening right now. You know, so. The piece didn't lose its actuality, but it's actually now <laughs> against Russia. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm in the third movement with that, and um, gosh, what else am I doing? Oh yeah, I'm writing a, a little surprise piece for a friend of mine. Uh, Oops. but I spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, he's he's retiring after like 51 years being the director of a man. And I'm writing a little surprise encore, but I cannot reveal who it is because okay. he, he may hear it and then the surprise is gone. So we won't talk about it. That's cool. Well, um, we always end with uh, ten a ten question segment. There, the questions are frivolous and inconsequential and silly. And, okay. and also has been pointed out to me, sometimes I don't actually ask 10 questions, but, um, is it the yes or no answer or, uh, there's a little bit of yes or no. There's a little bit of, of other things, but, um, um, they're, they're all quite in good fun. Um, but, but before we do that, um, I'd love to, um, give you a chance to tell everybody how they can find you out in the world on the socials or anything like that. If you're active in that or any, any other things that you're involved in that you want to talk about. Sure, I, I'm pretty active on social media. I have uh, three Facebook pages. One is called Johan de May. The other one is Johan A. de May. That's my friend's page. But I'm like five uh, short of 5,000 where that's the limit. Mm. And there's Composer Johan de May. It's a separate page. And then I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, what else? All that. So... And I put them then, you know, with new works or uh, concert uh, uh, presentations or new CD or new work. And uh, I have a website. It's just www.johandemay.com. And you can send me a, a, a question through, through that portal. It gets to me straight away. And that's it. So, yeah, I... I hope to see you in Chicago uh, next month. I will. I'll be there. I I'll will be, be there. I will, I will be at your, uh, I will come by and see you. And I, I have your sessions circled on my schedule. So I'm at Wednesday at 1030. Yeah. Looking forward to and it. Then, oh yeah, that evening is very important. Uh, the United States Marine Band will premiere a piece that I wrote for the retirement of Jason Fettig, the conductor who, who is, will be his last concert. Yeah. And, I wrote a short, but very dynamic uh, piece called "American Prelude," 
and it's only five minutes, but it will premiere that evening. So Wonderful. that's where. And um, so yeah, I'll be at the booth all week. So please come see me, uh, guys and girls. Uh, it's the Hal Leonard booth, the big big booth, Hal Leonard. I have my own little section there, and I will. Uh, it's a special. It's a thirty five percent discount for all the old scores and parts because of the thirty five year anniversary of Lord of the Rings. So oh, wonderful. Yep. Yeah, everybody, everybody, go by and see and. Um... And if you're listening to the podcast, you're listening because it releases on uh, December 19, which I think is the day before or maybe the day Midwest starts. So it's good timing, especially yeah. Midwest edition of Composer Chats. So uh, yeah, no, I, I I look forward I look forward to Midwest every year, and I uh, I definitely will come by and and say hello. Maybe I will bring my tiny uh, study score, and you can sign it for me again. <laughs> You should buy the new one. <laughs> uh, maybe I will buy a new you one. And you, you, you can, you can sign that one for me. One I can actually, it's a size I can actually read. Um, in my old age as I refuse to get glasses. So um, well, that's wonderful. And, and um, I hope that you have a, you have a safe travels and all that. So uh, it's time for 10 questions. Go ahead. Um, which may not be 10 questions, but we're going to go ahead. All right. Um, do you have a favorite food? Uh, Asian in general. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Chinese, Japanese, uh, Thai. Yeah. Asian. Now you have been all over the world. Um, so I will just say normally I ask, do you have a favorite place to vacation or to visit? Um, other than where you live. My favorite uh, place in Europe for vacations, Italy by far. Hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I love the country, the food, the, the history, the culture, uh, to work as a as a con conductor, my favorite country is Japan. Also, because the the, the enormous high quality of the players, the the their passion, their musicianship, and the food. <laughs> so I have three three gigs next year in Japan. I'm really looking forward to that. So those are my two countries to both vacation or or work. I love that. I can remember, I think it may have been at Midwest. I saw, I saw a group like a elementary band or something from Japan and they were just incredible. Oh, yeah. On Friday, uh, I'm conducting a high school band from uh, Japan Friday afternoon. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Really, really amazing uh, performers. Yeah. Young performers for sure. That's very cool. Um, all right. Do you have a favorite color? <laughs> yellow yellow yeah don't ask me why <laughs> yellow uh, yeah great do you remember the last thing that you googled um who is jason niche is uh is just yeah google frequent <laughs> before this interview i thought let's just take the guy out before i ask to say the wrong things or <laughs> so yeah that was the last thing i googled your name and your website came up so Hopefully you didn't scroll too far. No. <laughs> um, all right. This is maybe the most important question. Um, when you when you go to bed, do you sleep with your socks on or off? Off. Off. Socks on. Yeah. Good. That's the right <laughs> answer. I don't. <laughs> That's a silly question, but uh, they're all silly. Yeah, they're all silly. Um, so if, if you weren't a musician, composer, conductor, uh, you know, music extraordinaire. What's something you think you could have done with your life 
um, you know, other than that? Well, I could have been a school teacher, as you know, because I did the uh, the complete education. But I don't think I, I still don't want to be a teacher. Yeah. No. Um, maybe a chef. Chef. Yeah. Yes. That'd be fun. Yeah. In a restaurant, but that's hard work, you know? Yeah. That's tough. Yeah. That may be, you may, you may experience, um, more critics there than in music. Yes. I just watched a series called the bear. You should watch oh, it. Oh yeah. I've watched the bear. My wife and I watched the bear. We just chef in Chicago and the craziness of running a restaurant. So yeah. Yeah. I also really love Kitchen Nightmares, although it's no, I haven't seen that. Probably just to see uh, Gordon Ramsay yell at people. Yeah, no, that's that's too too uh, artificial and commercial. I think. Yeah, maybe. Um, all right, we well see. You already answered one of these questions because one of the questions: Do you binge watch things? We already know that you do. You yeah, talked about I that before. Mm-hmm. Good. Do you have a favorite time of day when you like to write? Um. The entire day. I mean, I used to, uh, when I lived by myself, I would also write in the evening or late at night, but I do, don't do that anymore. I just start in the morning, you know, a, a cup of coffee, do my emails, and start writing. And then I take a break for lunch or, or do my exercises, to go to the gym, come back and write again. Seven days a week. Yep. Well. I love that. Well, I don't know if that was 10 questions, if that was the 10 questions segment. So that's, that's what we're going to, we're going to call it. Well, I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. It means so much to me. And I hope that the, I hope that the listeners enjoyed hearing you talk about your life and your career, certainly incredibly storied and distinguished. And we certainly will continue to enjoy, you know, all of your creative, um, genius and, um, so, uh, Johan DeMay, thank you so much. Everybody, uh, check out all of his music on all of the places and play it and call him to come out and conduct it and take him to eat Asian food. <laughs> well, thank you, Jason. It was wonderful to be on your show. It was very relaxed and, uh, you know, and open-minded and I look forward to see you in June. Yeah. We'll see you in Chicago. And if anybody else is in Chicago for Midwest, stop by and uh, visit at the booth. You can find me either at uh, Randall Sandridge Music or at Excelsior Music or at the Tux People's Music booth. I will be... Or at Kitty O'Shea's in the bar. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or at Luminaldi's, uh, you know, more, more frequently. Um, also not a sponsor of the show, but um, I, would, I would take a pizza coupon. Um, yeah, so anyway, thanks so much for coming on. Enjoyed our chat, and we'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. All right. Bye-bye now. Composer Chats brought to you by SCM Media. Is your audience dead? Bring it back to life. And thanks to my guest this week, and thank you for listening. Don't forget to watch for next week's episode with the next composer on my list. And you can find my other podcast, Beyond the Belt, Adventures from the Outer Rim, a sci-fi drama, anywhere that podcasts are streamed. Listen free. Seasons one through three are out now. You can find me on Instagram at jasonnitch.composer. You can find me on threads at jasonnitch.composer. You can find me on the Facebooks if you're old like me, Jason K. Niche. You can find me on the web at jasonnitch.com or at beyondthebeltpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.